Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Tempest Fugate, nothing personal, word of the day. It's February 1st, 2022, the first day of the second month of 2022. Tempest Fugate is Latin, time flies. I wanted to take a few minutes to start the show to tell you that 365 days it's been since my father died. February 1st of 2021, And it got me thinking about this past year, all of the struggles that people have had, the country, the world, whether it's COVID, whatever has happened in your life and my life. But time flies. It feels like yesterday that I did the show that day. And I remember doing one that day very well. And I was thinking about all of the movies and songs that are all about the concept of turning back time or stopping time or slowing time, all of the products that we use to look younger, to reverse aging. Peter Pan, Cher, Cyndi Lauper. The last five years, there's a whole song about a man in Klimovich who was able to stop time and go back in time, back to the future, time traveling. It's a concept that we obsess over. And we're so busy thinking about trying to go back in time. Oh, those were the days, glory days, reflecting on things that we did, accomplishments that we've had, people who are in our life. Does it come at the cost of the present? That's what I was thinking about as I was preparing for a show on this day, in addition to thinking about the calls that I still don't get from him after every show, wondering what he would think about the evolution of the show or what he would think about how the Bucks are defending their title or Aaron Rodgers not able to bring his team to the Super Bowl, whether or not I was going to give an opinion on will Aaron Rodgers be back with Green Bay, even though he knows I had, will I change my mind? So you can think about all of the moments and you reflect on them. And I've been doing that. You look at photos. I've got a weird relationship with photos. I don't like looking at them. And the reason I don't like looking at them is it reminds me of what was versus what will be or what is. Because even when you take a selfie or you take a moment, I draw your attention to the great movie, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty when Ben Stiller and Sean Penn are on a mountain and they're looking at this white jaguar or white, white, I think it was a a very rare white cat of some sort. And Sean Penn is a world famous photographer for time and he doesn't take the photo. And that's what he went to the ends of the earth to do. And he said, sometimes you have to enjoy things not through a lens. 
Sometimes you have to be present. And this is not me being a boomer. This is not me trying to say I'm not appreciative of technology. This is not me making fun of, of all of the social media websites that I am on. It's me wondering at what cost. How many people will it take to die taking an Instagram photo when they're at the tip of a mountain? How many people will it take to commit suicide because they've been bullied online? How many people will it take? How many psychologists and psychiatrists will it take to allow people to get their self-esteem back, not based on fantasy or other people's versions of themselves, which are not based in reality? What do we do with our time? If we're so interested in stopping time, it's the one concept and the one thing that you're guaranteed to fail at. It's so bizarre. The equivalent is me devoting my life to dunking a basketball, to training as hard as I can, to getting my legs as strong as they can. There is nothing I can do about it. Yes, I can lower the hoop. That's like looking at photographs. Yes, I can get a trampoline, but that's like getting Botox and plastic surgery. You can change the equation to alter the result, but what's the use of that? When the original goal is to dunk and you know that you can't, why do you keep trying? And I'm talking about something that's absolute. If your goal is to make more money or to get more educated, to read more books or to get in shape or to run a marathon, all of those things are goals that can be achieved. Do you have a resolution in the new year or a goal at work or at home that you know by definition cannot happen? If you do, are you spending time trying to achieve it? And if you do, do you realize what a waste of time it is? And don't tell me it's the journey that matters because the journey to failure is no journey at all. It's a detour. So I don't bemoan people who live in the past. I question what you're doing now. So as I think about my dad and think about what I've done in 365 days, my formula is a little off and it's going to change. My formula was a little too strong on the looking back section. On the, am I getting older, checking in with my mortality, looking in the mirror and seeing my father instead of me and realizing that that's just me getting older, spending time looking at my hands, spending time thinking about moments and experiences, and it takes me away from being present. It's the same concept as when you're out to dinner and you're on your phone, you're present on your phone and with those moments and those experiences, but it's at the cost of being present with the people you're with. And if you make that decision, I'm all in. If you want to be present in your phone and not present with your company, then why are you with your company? If you want to live in the past, if you want to turn back time, enjoy the journey. Enjoy the detour. But I'm devoted to not just being present. I'm devoted to thinking about maximizing time because it all circles back to one of the original nothing personal concepts in addition to it's just business and it's nothing personal.
The concept is that no matter how hard I try and how successful I am, I will never, ever be Justin Timberlake or Amanda Seyfried. Seyfried. I will never get more time. There is no way to do it. Therefore, the last 365 days are done. Today starts the next 365 days. What are you going to do with those 525,600 minutes? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to start by talking about the MLB lockout. The MLB lockout. I've got an update for you. Have you liked my 6.9 second updates? Have you enjoyed the fact that it is now February 1st and we are one day away from two successful wait to seize? Two, not one, but two. One wait to seize that the MLB lockout will not end by February 1st. Today's February 1st. Wait to see. Tomorrow's the second. The next one is the Washington football team will not be called the Washington football team, despite what people had said and the love that people had for that absolutely asinine name of a franchise because the Washington commanders will be named on February 2nd. Two wait to sees are going to come true tomorrow. The lockout update. There's big news today, though. Not 6.9 seconds of silence. We've got ourselves another meeting. The players and the owners are going to get together and they're going to start having another conversation. And as I told you, David P. Sampson on Twitter, this may be getting toward the end of the middle of the middle. For those of you new to nothing personal, we talk about the beginning of the end, the end of the beginning, the beginning of the middle, the end of the middle, the beginning of the beginning. Do you get it? There's a beginning, the middle and an end, and there's a beginning, middle and end of each, the beginning, the middle and the end. And the end of the end with the lockout is when it's voted on and approved by owners and players. That's the end of the end. The beginning of the end is when there's agreement. The middle of the end is when it, the memo gets written and a vote gets scheduled. The beginning of the middle is when there's an actual exchange of something other than rhetoric. When there are proposals going back and forth, no matter how sure you are that they will not be accepted, that is the beginning of the middle because the end of the beginning is silence and we have that already. Since December 2nd, there was a lot of end of the beginning. That's the first day of the lockout. But now that we're back to having meetings, we're trying to figure out where we are in the middle, the beginning, the middle, or the end. And I think we're in the middle of the middle because there are more frequent meetings and we are getting closer to different deadlines that the public has not yet been made aware are not deadlines that are shared internally by owners and players. For example, we are reading on every website. There are reporters being assigned to write articles from hither to yonder. Everything's got to be done by this date for that date to happen. Pitchers and catchers report on February 15th. In order for them to report on time, we need to have an agreement that comes out of today's meeting. Horse hockey. There is zero chance there'll be an agreement coming out of today's meeting. There are zero, zero chances, zero. Look, my hands are against my eyes, like Rocky and Bullwinkle, Mr. Magoo. Zero chances that spring training will start on February 15th. And the owners know it. The players know it. I'm here to tell the fans. All right, what's the next date? The only one you should be focused on, March 31st. March 31st is opening day. I have tried to prepare you 
that until there are many more discussions on how to carve out the competitive balance tax, many more back and forth on revenue sharing, on getting more money to younger players through minimum salary increases and more players being eligible for arbitration, you are not going to get an agreement. And there is no chance that either side will get all the way to the 50% point on any of those issues in the next two weeks, three weeks, or four weeks. Getting to the 50% is what I would call a win-win. That's when I offer $1, you offer $3, and we settle on $2. That's meeting people halfway. The owners are not willing to meet the players halfway. And more importantly, the players are not willing to meet the owners halfway. So now we get into a path to a deal that has to include both sides thinking they did not meet the other side halfway. If you are the lead negotiator for the owners or for the players, you have to recognize this if you're Dan Hallam or Bruce Mayer. And you have to recognize that you have to start selling to your constituents what meeting halfway is. And you have to manage expectations. So when I'm running. So when I'm running the Marlins and I get an update on an owner's president's call that says it looks like the minimum is going to have to be 750,000. So prepare for it. But we're going to try to do better when you know very well that you're going to lock it in at 700. You call the Marlins and say, we are very concerned about revenue sharing and about the implication of the draft and where you will be able to draft even with the worst record. So be prepared to enter into a lottery if you've got the eight worst records. And then you go back and you say, we did it. We got five. Only five teams will be in that draft lottery. The players have to go from Bruce Mayer. He's got to meet the player reps, Andrew Miller, and the other 30, 29 player reps. Although Andrew Miller is on the executive council, I do not believe he's a player rep because I do not believe he is on a roster. We could fact check that, but you have to be on a roster to be a player rep, but he is a high up in the union. He is at every negotiating session, but he's also a free agent who I doubt will. And someone may give him a, a deal just to see if they can sort of turn back time, recapture the magic. So if you are Andrew Miller, you're going to the player reps and saying, we want three teams in the lottery. Just be ready. I think we're going to get only four. And then you deliver five. The minimum salary, I know we want 750, but I think we're only going to get to 675. Then you deliver 700. Do you get where I'm going with this? How many of you manage expectations with your boss, with your spouse, with your significant other, which, with your children? You do it so you can be one of the two types of people that exist in this world. People who over promise and under deliver or people who under promise and over deliver. You don't want to be in the middle. In my opinion, you only want to be on one side of that fence. I've always loved to be on that side of the fence. Be a little self-deprecating. Say, listen, there's no way I can get that done. The number of times I did that in my professional career on Wall Street and in baseball would shock you. Maybe not. Hey, I, I don't think that I can get you that stock at that price. And you know you've got the trade ready to go. You look good to your client. Hey, Jeffrey, I really don't think that we're going to be able to extract that player when I've been told by the GM that that player has already been made available in a trade. I don't think we're going to get that player at that number 
in arbitration and we've already done the negotiating. And so we under promise and over deliver. Is that fraudulent? Is that fixed? The very concept of under promising and over delivering is what you have to do when you're in a collective bargaining situation. Because when you over promise and under deliver, that's called a lockout, strike, work stoppage, and the game doesn't start on time. So the most relevant question that you could read in the paper these days is what is being told to the owners and to the players as it relates to the remaining open issues? Not where each side is publicly. What has actually been told? Well, there's one thing that I can promise you has been told, and that is spring training won't start on the 15th and the likelihood of the regular season starting on March 31st decreases every day. The math is pretty simple. You need five to six weeks post agreement in order to start the season. And that includes voting time, free agency, arbitration, spring training, COVID protocols, and then the season starting. If there is no agreed upon deal by February 15th, which happens to be the reporting date for spring training, in my opinion, there will not be Major League Baseball on March 31st. Does that mean it's the end of the sport as we know it and you should not feel fine? No, it means there will be agreement and there will be a full-ish season, but a full for sure postseason. One of the other points about that that is worth mentioning is that you're going to read a lot also about who's hurting more. Are owners hurting when spring training doesn't happen on time? Not enough to matter. Are players hurting when they miss their first paycheck? You bet your bippy. But on the other hand, players start getting paid day one of regular season. There is an opportunity in a collective bargaining agreement to negotiate that no matter when the regular season starts, the players will get their full pay even without playing 162 games. And that is a tremendous asset for owners to have because they know that they can get something in return because when it comes down to the nitty gritty, the players will be very focused on getting their full salary because an overwhelming majority of members of that union never get rich, never make free agency, never make arbitration. So when you're making six to $650,000 over six months, just make it easy, 600 over six, that's 100 a month. And all of a sudden you lose a month, that's going from 600 to 500. You've lost one sixth of your comp. That is not something that players want. If the owners say, hey, we will give you six sixths of your comp, but by the way, we're going to have only three teams in the lottery. We're not going to have any changes to revenue sharing. Oh, and I should remind you that the competitive balance threshold is going to be 220 and the penalties are going to be usurious. But you guys will get paid your full salaries in 2022. That's a trade that the owners have in their hip pocket. And that's something that the players understand is their weak point. And when you know the weak point of your opponent, you win. What is the weak point in the ownership's side of the ledger? Here's the worst news for the players possible. We didn't have a weak point because we have access to debt. So we can cover expenses. We can cut our expenses whenever we want by furloughing employees. Our asset values are going to keep going up no matter what happens, including missing the season, because as much as you all say you're done with baseball, the reality is the revenue keeps growing. And the number of people who want to get into this private club where only 30 people are members will never be 25. Do you get the math? 
If there's 25 people who want 30 spaces, guess what? The price goes down. If there's 40 people who want to get into 30 spaces, uh uh-oh, the price per space has gone up. The one thing I can promise you is there are more than 30 people who want to own a baseball team. Therefore, Res, Ipsa, Loquidor, the players are at a disadvantage. And that will play itself out here over the next four weeks as these negotiations continue. When you are negotiating with another side, it is critical to understand what you want, to explain to the other side what you want, how you're going to get it, and to explain to the other side how they can give it to you without suffering publicly, privately, or losing their job. Someone asked me a question about this very concept. You know what I want? (laughs) I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. That's a segment that we do that comes from the movie Half-Baked. I love everyone who contacts me on Twitter at David P. Samson to tell me that they watch Half-Baked, where there's a character named Samson. And whether you've got the pen or the sword or whatever you are using, Half-Baked is a movie you should see. You get into Twitter, David P. Sampson. My DMs are open. That means direct message, I think. And you ask a question. If I like the question, I may answer it on the air. I may get to you on Twitter or I may not. As you know, the numbers are large. I do my best. Here's the question. David. Yes. What is the difference between the Marlins Park and the Inter-Miami deal in Miami? I thought that was a very local issue. But it's a very glocal, thank you, Anna Kendrick and Jason Reitman, a very glocal answer. Marlins Park is the baseball park that Jeffrey Loria funded 33% of, the public funded 66% of in a deal that was extremely fair in order to save baseball in Miami. Retractable roof facility that came in on budget and on time, something that not one other ballpark has done. And you can fact check that because anyone can be on time, but then you're not on budget. Anyone can change the budget once it starts and increase it like the Mets did, by the way, increase the budget, hit that number and say, hey, we're on budget. No, on time on budget is when you actually make a budget before you start a project and hit that number. Into Miami is the major league soccer team that's owned by David Beckham. Not really, it's owned by Jorge Moss who was not a bidder for the Marlins, but thought he was. So he bought a soccer team. Great deal. David Beckham was promised a soccer team at a valuation of $25 million as part of his original deal to join MLS. He parlayed that into an ownership percentage of the Inter-Miami football team, which plays in Fort Lauderdale, sort of like the New York Giants play in Jersey. The difference is it's way easier to get from the city to the Meadowlands than it is to get from Miami to where the Orioles used to have spring training in Fort Lauderdale. They built a temporary stadium while trying to get a permanent ballpark built in Miami. They have spent years, underscore years. I spent years trying to get the ballpark deal done in Miami. The ballpark deal in Miami was built with tourist taxes, was built with taxes that were generated by the state legislature that were meant to go to convention centers, sports venues, tourist and bed taxes that were meant to go to convention centers or to sports facilities, of which Marlins Park is one. There were no new taxes 
to build Marlins Park. There was no increase of existing taxes. There was an allocation of existing taxes. Allocation is exactly what you pay your government to do. They look at the needs of their community and they decide what gets funded and what doesn't. That happens every day, everywhere. They look at the opportunity cost of putting $1 into X when they could have put $1 into Y. They've got economists, they've got lifetime government employees, they've got consultants, they've got staff members, all for the purpose of helping them understand the concept of opportunity cost. Inter-Miami is owned by a real estate gentleman named Jorge Moss, whose interest in building a stadium in Miami near the airport is a real estate play. Our interest in building Marlins Park was a baseball play. Did it increase the valuation of the asset? Yeah. Did it increase it all the way to 1.2? No. Just stupid bidding by Jeter increased it to 1.2. What Jorge Mas understands is that in order to privately finance a soccer stadium, he needs to convince the public to give him money in a different pocket that he can then transfer because dollars are fungible into one pocket from the other and use that money to build a soccer stadium without public financing. Because Jorge Mas is no fool and he knows that building a ballpark on your own privately is an investment that makes rich people poor and stops poor people from getting rich because they're too dumb. So what do we do? How do we hide it? The New York Mets and the New York Yankees will tell you that they built their entire stadiums with private money. Horse hockey. Why don't you take a look at the deal for City Field and New Yankee Stadium and ask yourself who paid for the public infrastructure that had to get done and was done. Ask yourself how rent payments are paid. Ask yourself how taxes are levied. And then ask yourself whether there's any public money or any opportunity cost of money put into those deals that could have put in elsewhere. And I happen to fully agree that those deals should have been done just like Marlins Park should have been done. I just want the public to know exactly what's happening. That was my point with Marlins Park when I was going from every church and every synagogue and every district to explain what the deal was and still there were those like Billy Corbin who would spin it in a way that would make me look bad, make me look like a liar, when in fact he had no idea what he was talking about. The irony is the person who talks the loudest doesn't mean they know the most. There is no direct correlation between pitch of your voice, strength of your voice, tone of your voice, and knowledge of the subject matter. Inter-Miami will be built privately by Jorge Mas because he is getting the opportunity to develop real estate on tens of acres of office space, hotels, retail, all of which he will own and all of which he will generate income from. And he's doing it on land that he doesn't have to buy, he only has to rent. And he's doing it at a rent that is not based on the current market value of that land. He's doing it based on rent that was the current market value four years ago. That doesn't make it wrong that the city of Miami wants to do a deal like that with Inter-Miami and Jorge Mas. What's wrong about it is they're not telling you the truth. Jorge Mas is not, and the city of Miami is not. 
when you are putting together a complicated deal like a soccer stadium or a baseball stadium or any sort of renovations, the Cleveland Guardians just announced a new deal, renovations in Cleveland. They extended their lease to 2036. You are going to have progressive field for another 14 years minimum, plus a 10-year option where you that building could be around till 2046. That deal comes with money from the public. That comes with money from the public that will go to capital expenses like retrofitting and redoing the ballpark from today through the end of the lease, starting with a huge project. But then the Guardians come out and talk about private contributions. Moss in Miami talks about private contributions, but he's never going to tell you about the public ones. The public will tell you this stadium is being built with private funds. We are not doing another Marlins Park deal, but they're not going to tell you what else they're giving to Jorge Moss. Because they don't want you to be armed with the knowledge to make your own decision to evaluate them based on their actions and then have those thoughts, decisions impact the next ballot. It is far better to keep constituents in the dark, to tell them what you know they want to hear than to tell them the truth and risk losing your seat in government. This is as old as sports. There is nothing different between Marlins Park and Inter-Miami other than the fact that it wasn't a real estate deal for us and it is for Jorge Mas. Other than the fact that all of the money for Marlins Park that came from the public could not have gone to teachers, firefighters, nurses, doctors, fixing 95, getting rid of road rage. You want to change that? You had to go to the state legislature and have a law overturned that allows for those taxes to be developed charged, collected, and then given to all these different facilities, including, might I add, Hard Rock Stadium and where your Miami Heat play. You want to change it? Change it at the ballot box. But you're going to have to go upstream. Inter-Miami, there's nothing you can do at the ballot box because the city of Miami is going to vote on February 23rd. And if you don't like what they're doing, vote them out. But at least understand the difference understand why the city is not telling you the truth about the Miami deal, understand why no one told you the truth about the Marlins Park deal. It is such a third rail conversation, not like race or misogyny or equality, but when it comes to economics and the thought of getting rich people richer and poor people not getting their chance to become richer, where do you think the public sentiment and the main majority of the voters are going to come off, come down on that issue? I'm just spitballing here. I'm just asking. And you wonder why there's so much spin that goes on. You wonder why Major League Baseball and owners and players are trying to spin you like the Tasmanian devil because you don't want to have to hear about billionaires getting richer or millionaires getting richer or players making so much money and then not caring if they win, not caring if they're good, knowing that they're guaranteed contracts, owners who are able to hold out and take advantage of their employees, heaven forbid. These things happen everywhere in every industry. I appreciate the question. All right. When we come back, we're going to review a movie that I thought was a romance. And that is what you get for not reading reviews and not doing anything other than a cursory look on a Twitter that is an ad. 
And then we're also going to mention something that bothered me about yesterday's pick of the game, pick of the day, pick of the God day, four, six, 69. We're also going to mention something that bothered me about yesterday's nothing personal pick of the day. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's me, David Sampson. Thank you for rating, reviewing, following. I still want you on Spotify. Please, we're not canceled. We don't spread disinformation. We give you opinions that you can agree with or disagree with. We educate you so you can choose a side on different issues. I appreciate that you tell your friends about Nothing Personal. It keeps us going. It's the very oxygen that we breathe. I watch a movie every day and review a movie, a TV show. I saw on Twitter, I don't know, I don't want to talk about, if you don't mind, the reality. I'd rather put my head in the sand. But the reality of me thinking something and then having an ad appear on my phone or saying something during a show, and then all of a sudden I'm seeing it on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. The fact that the phone is listening is a absolute certainty. Do I think they're interested in what I have to say? No. Do I think it works? You're damn right it does. I'm wearing Twillery for crying out loud meatloaf. Never heard of it until I got the ad where it said, God, I got to get a new blazer. I'm wearing a new blazer. I've got a blazer. All of a sudden, boom, buy this blazer. So I did. Do you think that that reinforces behavior that people should be listening to phones because the phone company and the cellular companies all get to, and the social media platforms all get to go to the advertisers and say, you want to advertise to everybody about your blazers or do you want to advertise to the people who are actually buying blazers? Hmm, let me think. I don't think I need to advertise to a seven-year-old or a 12-year-old about blazers, but a 53 year old who actually wears one every day on a show, that seems like there's going to be good bang for my buck. And so it was. So there was an ad because apparently the phone hears, are you listening? I watch a movie every day, every day. Hello? Hello? There it is. The fallout now on HBO Max. The picture, the thumbnail is two women side by side, lying down, looking at the stars, sort of reminded me of the fault of our stars. I figured it was a love story, thought it was some sort of, I don't know, love story between two women, two women fighting about one guy. Who knows? The fallout of a relationship gone bad. I'm in romance, drama, romantic comedy. Love it. I want more of it. Five minutes into the fallout, I'm hearing shots in a school and I begin to realize fallout means the fallout from a school shooting. I had to pivot in a way that I have not had to pivot before. The example to me would be if you go see a movie and you expect Dumb and Dumber and you get The Shining, right? It doesn't mean that the movie's bad. It just means you've got to readjust your perspective in order to be in that moment and be present. So I readjusted after four minutes and I watched the remaining hour 26 And it made me furious. 
All of the people who are pro-gun, bring it. I want to hear it from you. I want to hear every one of your ridiculous arguments. I'm not going to take a side. I want to hear all of you say that arming teenagers. Nah, you don't arm them. They take guns from their parents who are irresponsible and don't lock them up. I've heard that one before. Those kids should never have had guns. We're not saying those kids should have guns. Oh, my God, they have guns. America. Home of the free. Land of the gun. Easy to get. I saw a video yesterday about a guy with road rage on 95 in Miami shooting up people, shooting up a guy because he tailgated. Made me nervous. The movie is incredibly acted. Incredibly written by a first time director and writer. The fallout is about what happens when you survive a school shooting and how you move forward and the impact it has going forward for not just you but everybody around you. It's the second movie like that that I've seen recently. The first one was Mass, which talked about the fallout that the parents have, parents of the shooter, parents of the victim. This one was about the survivors of a school shooting and the impact, the helplessness that parents feel, the hole that kids feel they are in and can't get out of. Go into it with the right view and you will see a great movie that will disturb you, it will make you cry, and it will make you talk. And when you cry and talk, if you don't do them at the same time, you'll be understood. And I hope what you understand is that what we talk about with actions having consequences, all of you who take a position on gun control and all of you who tend to listen to one side or the other without understanding the impact, it's to me the equivalent of not caring about raising money for a certain charity until someone you love dies of that disease and all of a sudden you spend the rest of your life raising money so that no one else has to feel the way you feel today. It's called the fallout. Nothing personal pick of the day. What do we do? Coca and I had a fight. We don't, not a fight. That is incorrect, Coca. We did not have a fight. We discuss the show before it starts, the night before, the morning of. We discuss it when the show is done. I have had a discussion with him for the last month since January started about these picks of the day. And my concern when I say Sixers minus three versus Grizzlies, and by the time the game starts, it's Grizzlies minus three and a half over the Sixers because Joel Embiid's got load management. What am I supposed to do? And Coca says, here's what you're supposed to do. Take it like a man. He doesn't say that. He says, sorry. Sorry, Coca, you can wipe that. I don't want to make you out to be anything you're not. Three, six, nine. So Coca says, take it like a person. Well, I don't want to take it like a person. Except people call in their bet having listened to the show. It was three. Do they then not take it when it's one? Do they say, am I wrong? Did I not know that Embiid was, was playing, was not playing? I didn't know. But there we are. We had the Sixers minus three, and he's not letting me change it. Guess what the final score of the game was without Joel Embiid? The Sixers won by three. <laughs> Personally, I'd like to take it as a victory because the line really was Grizzlies minus three and a half. But Coke is making me take a push. We are 13 and 13 going into a random Tuesday night pick. Starting next week, I'm going to be giving you Super Bowl prop bets as well as picks of the day. 
So when we watch the Super Bowl on the 13th, we're going to have five bets, including not including the game pick, five props plus the game pick. But for today, we're back in the NBA and your Milwaukee Bucks are favored by 11 and a half to beat Michael Jordan's Washington Wizards. There is no Wes Unseld or Elvin Hayes to save the day, not even Bobby Dandridge. The Bucks have coming off one of the worst losses I've ever seen, getting absolutely their ass kicked by Denver. They lost by 36 points to the potential MVP, Jokic. They're going to crush the Wizards tonight. Mark my words. Bucks minus 11 and a half over Wizards. All right. Did you see what Tom Brady did yesterday? Tom Brady decided to end his silence after the weekend of insanity about his retirement. And he decided to give you a few things to think about, about life, about being in public, about family, about football. And he did it by going on a podcast, not Joe Rogan. He went on Jim Gray's podcast called Let's Go. And he talked about what his weekend was like. And I smiled. And the reason I smiled is that I told you what Tom Brady was doing. And I haven't spoken to Tom Brady. And I've got full faith and belief that the way I said it's going to go down is how it's going to go down. That Tom Brady is retiring. That Tom Brady is working on the exact way he's going to retire. Tom Brady does not have that finalized. And someone from his inner circle leaked it to ESPN. ESPN and MNFL Network, even his own company covered it. Then they uncovered it. They're walking it back. And then they're going to walk it forward when it turns out to be right. And Tom Brady, having met with PR people, said, here's what I'm going to say about this. And he gave some pretty good quotes. He said, I'm still going through the process I said I was going through. Sometimes it takes time to really evaluate how you feel and what you want to do. When the time is right, I'll be ready to make a decision one way or another, like I said last week. Boom. Tom got good advice, took the good advice. He did not need to respond to the leak. He needed to say that the exact thing that he said was going to happen is still going to happen. And anything that happened this past weekend does not change his plan. That's what I call sticking to your plan. And I like it. And the reason why you are counseled not to change your plan, while there were people this weekend who said, oh, Tom Brady's going to come back now to prove everybody wrong, which obviously is so ridiculous. The reason why when you set out to do something and you do not allow yourself to get thrown off course is that then you're all of a sudden on someone else's timeline, on someone else's course, and you've lost your own way. It reminded me this coming week, the new Jackass movie is coming out. One of my favorite, favorite, what's it called? Franchises. I'm firing all cylinders, Coca. I'm not forgetting words like I did. I got some sleep. Not really. So the newest and latest and last Jackass is coming out. And there will never be a more important scene in Jackass than the first scene of the first movie. The first scene of the first Jackass movie, if you haven't seen it, go watch it in about three minutes. If you have, you'll recall, it is a large grocery cart that is full of the cast of Jackass going down a hill with cannons of rocks and stones and other such artillery being fired at it. But the cart, those in the grocery cart, it keeps going downhill and they don't stop. 
That is a great metaphor in life. When you've got a plan that you believe in, when you, when you know you're trying to get from point A to point B, there will be people who dedicate their entire life to stopping you from getting to point B because they feel so badly they can't get there themselves. They will spend so much time bringing you down that you're going to think that you grew. When the reality is you didn't grow, they just got smaller. So maybe it's perception. Well, don't make perception your reality. Don't make other people's decisions impact yours. Tom Brady knows he's retiring. He knows how he wants to retire, and he's not letting the elite change it. He then went into a discussion, albeit a short one, about the era of information that we exist in, people trying to get in front of the news, and he acknowledged and understood it. He could have been stronger. How many times on Nothing Personal did we talk about people more concerned with being first than being right? Hey, we can fix it later. We got to get out there. And then afterward, you got to give credit to the person who's first, which only makes more people want to be first, which makes more people jump the gun, which makes more people say, I've got a source. Do you have two? No, I got one. I'm good. Who do you answer to? I don't answer anyone. I answer to 140, 240 characters. It's very frustrating watching anybody with a phone have the ability to be a source, having the ability to spread disinformation. It's very frustrating that people who stand up to the spread of disinformation are subject to ridicule. What's amazing about the whole concept is that we caused it. We in sports, we in media, we in business, we caused it because we're so busy trying to give you what you want and have you pay for it, that we lost track of process. We took the term consequentialism to a whole new level. We want clicks. We want buys. We want your money. Because absent the printing of money by the Federal Reserve causing undue inflation, money that goes out of your pocket goes into someone else's pocket. That goes for sports, that goes for your employer, that goes for your job, your school, everywhere. Does it go for you too? Tom Brady had an opportunity and will have an opportunity to retire on his own terms, and he will. You have the opportunity to take this next year to understand the fact that time flies and decide what you are going to do with your next year, what you're going to do with you being on the path from A to B, and whether or not you will be able to keep the grocery cart going down the hill. It's just business. This is nothing personal. Have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. 